amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Media Network and the Racing Spotlight. Sit back and enjoy as we have interviews with drivers and teams and listen to their aspirations of becoming their next series champions here on the iCast Media Network. Hello world and welcome to the return of the Racing Spotlight here in a new decade of the year 2020 and I am just absolutely beside myself with joy and anticipation for a long time that I have waited to get this young man on our Racing Spotlight or in our Racing Spotlight. Let me introduce you to Charles Lacar who is currently in school in the Netherlands. Tell us a little bit about your name, your age, and where you are, and what time it is. Oh, it's pretty late, team. Uh, hello, team. Hello, everybody. Um, well, my name is Charles Lecar. I'm 20 years old, uh, as you said, studying in the Netherlands, but I'm from France. And uh, right now it's uh, one in the morning, so staying up late. My parents gave me the permission, so it's all, all right. And I'm pretty excited to, to, to talk to you, team, to, to be on that podcast. Thank you for the opportunity of having me and uh, being the first of the decade, as you said. Yeah, you know, it was through our mutual friend, Zach Banks, when he got back from his tour over in Europe for NASCAR Europe, when he was, or Euro NASCAR, yeah. and he was telling me what, you know, just what a passionate, absolute, fantastic guy you were, and then we hooked up the Skype deal where we were able to talk, and that was very, very impressive to me. So it's the, it's the type of situation where... I had been wanting to go international. You know, we're heard around the world. We have been heard around the world since we've got started. But I wanted to be able to bring international drivers in here. And here we have you. Now, tell me, well, you're you're doing, what do they call it, Euro NASCAR is what you're racing? Um, well, actually, uh, when I met Zach, exactly, that was during a test day or recruitment day for the NASCAR Women Year Series. Um, so I, I took part in that recruitment day because it's one of my goals for 2020 to race in, in the series as it's the, the official NASCAR series in Europe. Uh, it's not my only goal, um, but that was the, the one where there was a recruitment day, so I figured I would take part uh, in, in the test day. Um, otherwise, in 2019, the last 
thing I raced uh, was uh, in the Netherlands uh, also, and it was at Fenray Raceway on uh, the half mile, the the only half mile oval that's active in, in Europe. And I raced late model there uh, for three race weekends uh, and a total of uh, 15 races, I think, that was that was uh, only during the summer. Um, and that, that was about it for my 2019 uh, season. Well, how did you do in those races? Uh, well, I apparently, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I did pretty well. I won six races out of the 15 I took part in. Uh, and those were six consecutive wins, which was the, the record, uh, which still stands today. So mm-hmm. I, I was pretty hyped. I was, I, I mean, I loved it. It's just, uh, you know, in Europe, we don't have that many opportunities to race on ovals uh, compared to America as they're over racetrack in every state. It's not the case in Europe. And every time I step into a race car, a stock car and drive on an oval, I just have a huge smile on my face. And I really enjoyed it. It had been a while I didn't race. In 2018, I got a weird situation where I didn't have the opportunity to race, to take part in races. So that was a a return to the racetracks. And uh, I loved it. Well, you know, I think, most of my, in my opinion, it's totally my mm-hmm. opinion now. I would think that anybody growing up wanting to race in Europe would be thinking Formula One. And I was so amazed to hear about you wanting to do stock cars. And I think what I've seen your pictures of have been a Chevrolet, correct? Yeah, that was a Chevy SS. Hmm. All right. Um, Oh, let me just clear one thing up. No, I did yeah. not make him stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I offered to pre-record it, and Charles said, no, we're going to do it live. So here we are live tonight, and I appreciate it. But going back to the Formula One gig, that's something mm-hmm. that apparently, has, has that ever reached out to to you, or what's your feeling on that? I mean, I, I don't really know if I have to be, to be honest. Uh, it's just... One day it was in uh, in 2008. I remember that that day, that particular day. I remember it was a a Sunday, and we had a new TV in in the home uh, with my father. So I was checking up the the channels that we had, and uh, I don't know something happened, and we we stumbled upon uh, the the highlights of the Watkins Glen race uh, for the NASCAR Spring Cup Series, and there was a huge crash. I don't know if some people will remember the the big one under the banner with Speed is Beautiful exiting the last turn of Watkins Lane. And uh, there was a huge crash and I was eight years old and I saw that. It was spectacular. And I said, wow, what is this? And I really liked it for the accident. I mean, I'm a bit ashamed to say that uh, today, but uh, I really fell in love with NASCAR because of, that, because of that accident. And so I inquired about it with my father. With my father. I told him, hey, check on the internet. What is this? And uh, when, when do they race? And I discovered they race every Sunday. And ever since that, I uh, I watch NASCAR. And that's really the, the only thing that I, I kind of watch. I don't watch anything else. Uh, Formula One, you know, I feel kind of alone watching NASCAR in Europe. But all the people here like Formula One, endurance racing, road racing in general. And uh, it, it never made sense to me. Oval has always been the, the, the thing that's that's been in my, in my blood for, since the beginning. You know, that that just fascinates me that you saw it on television. It also fascinates me. I think I knew that they televised those races around the world, but mm-hmm. it just never occurred to me that NASCAR was being televised in France. Now, did they televise them live or are they on time delay? 
Yeah, they they uh, they broadcast it live uh, every Sunday. Apart from uh, when it when the night races run on on Saturday evening, it's too late in Europe, so they broadcast it, but not live on the Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one particular channel that's called uh, AB Motors. I think it's changed. The, the name isn't the same anymore, but I can't remember because now I watched it in English. Uh, so not not anymore on the on the on the French channel, but yeah, they they do it every week, and uh, it's, this this is the the channel that introduced me to to NASCAR. That is just fascinating. Well, you've already told us how you got interested in racing, but mm-hmm. when and where was the first race that you actually attended? Can you remember that? Uh, yes, it was a completely different uh, setting as it was uh, not far away from my hometown. My hometown is called uh, Nîmes. It's in the south of France and uh, about what 10 miles away there's a racetrack called the, uh, the Lednon Circuit. And uh, there was a GT, uh, the French GT Championship that was running. And uh, there was also the NASCAR Wheel and Euro Series that was at the time called the Euro NASCAR. Uh, it was in uh, 2009 or 2010, I think, and uh, I had my Dale Jr. shirt on, and uh, I showed up and, and saw the, those big stock cars uh, for real for the first time. And uh, I didn't care about the Ferraris and the GD cars and all that luxurious stuff, I would say. I just had all my eyes focused on, on the stock cars and the big V8s and the noise and, and, and the racing, the true racing, I would say. But I don't want to get road racing fans angry at me. I like road <laughs> racing too, but I mean... I just like I just love how how raw and rough the the NASCAR race cars are. Well, what persuaded you to go with Dale Jr.? Uh, it was because I couldn't pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> it was for 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 a French guy. It was Dale Earnhardt. That was kind of tough to pronounce. And the Jr. in the end in the end that just made it ten times better. And yeah, that, that's that was the first driver that really caught my eye and uh, that I really loved at at the first sight. I wonder, you know, I just sat here thinking about, about how popular Dale Jr. is in the United States and to have you mm-hmm. over there in France pulling for him, I, that just, I guess it has a special spot with me to know that NASCAR racing reaches around the world <laughs> in places we don't even realize, Charles. I mean, we yeah. really don't. Mm-hmm. i tell you what. But what special memory do you have of that first race? Is there anything that sticks out as being special? Uh, do you mean the first race I watched on TV or first, the first race I attended? First one you attended. Uh, no, I just remember, you know, the, the speed, the sound. I was sitting right behind the fences in the in the in the main straight, so of course that's a road course, so the speed were a little bit uh, slower than what you have on ovals. But it's just uh, no the the enjoyment and the pleasure I had watching the, those cars going around, and I, I just wanted to be in the cockpit and driving them. So yeah, I was a little bit too young, too small, but that's just, that was just the only thing I wanted. How old were you then? Uh, I was nine, so uh, nine or ten. That is amazing. That is just mm-hmm. really, I mean, it reaches out and grabs me because I've been around racing all my life, and it's just mm-hmm. the kind of thing that, you know, I know how that works. Yep, I do know how that works, believe <laughs> me. But when did you start your first race as a driver? When did you start your first race, and what were you driving? Uh, well, my first race was in a go kart uh, that was on a on a road course of, uh, in a, in another uh, in a in a racetrack that's actually one of the the biggest racetracks in the south of France, in a town called Alice. 
And uh, actually, I, I bought my 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 go kart, my first go kart, when I was ten. Um, and the car was about uh, the chassis of the car was about as old as me. Uh, it was an old chassis that was built when I wasn't even born, <laughs> but it was still racing. It was still running, and it was quite cheap. But it it helped me start uh, start racing, and uh, so I spent one year practicing uh, on the same racetrack every weekend because I wasn't mature enough and ready to to race. And then after one year of learning how how the car reacted and how the the, how to set up and, and every basics of racing basically I, I took part in my first race that I won at, at that particular racetrack which holds a, a big place in my heart and uh, it also gave gave the name to to my chassis I named my chassis Hold because well as I told you it was it was old and it held on pretty well so that was an obvious name to name in Hold <laughs> and you were 10 <laughs> right? Uh, yeah I was 10 and the first race was one year one year later so I was 11 at that time of the first race. Well, how did you feel when you started your first race, Charles? What was going through your mind? Peace. Uh, it's like when I'm racing, I can't explain it. It's like, I mean, you know, you're as passionate about motorsport as I am, and it's really a passion that you can't really explain. It's just something you feel in your body. You feel relaxed. And uh, during that race, uh, nobody knew me, and I ended up on the pole, and when the... The, the speaker at the start of the race asked to the drivers as we were young, uh, hey, who's never started a race? And I was the only one raising my hand. And uh, it made him laugh. As I was the pullman. He told me, hey, you better you better know how to start a race because everybody's going to pass you. And, uh, well, I, I, I just started the race, lost a couple positions, but I fought my way uh, back to the first place. And these are incredible um memories that I have you know I was I was kind of like a young Kyle Bush because I was pushing drivers I was using my elbows and and my bumpers so I remember I was quite uh I was quite yeah uh, I got I pushed quite a few drivers but you know all good memories and after that to the race we always had fun with the other drivers and, and yeah that, that's about it well that's the good thing about having fun with the other drivers and being so competitive so you won that first race uh, yeah, I won the first race uh, and uh, the second, actually. Wow. See, I didn't know that. We haven't <laughs> talked about that in all of our conversations because, what, we've been on Skype twice before tonight, I think, and that that has mm -hmm. not come up, so I was not aware of that. <laughs> that is I, would, I would say it isn't the, the biggest thing I remember uh, at the time because I... You know, in the same uh, same spirit, in in my very first uh, season of, of of actual racing, I took part in the French Championship, and that's the race that I remember was the the first race I won. Were were beautiful races, of course, but the French Championship was just something else. They were all the best drivers, and they had beautiful cars. and And I arrived there as a rookie with no experience, and uh, there was rain, and we only had slick tires. So that was one hell of a weekend. Um, and yeah, this is the main memory of, of my first year of racing. Did you win that race? Ah, uh, no, sadly. I, I got a top 10, uh, but not a win. <laughs> it was well, a bit too much for the young drivers I was. Yeah, and you were still driving that chassis that was 11 years old, right? Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> we were like the, the old car of the field. Like there were all the drivers had Gen six cars and we had an old Gen four, so that was that was fun. 
Well, that speaks well of your talent, Charles, because obviously if you're running something that, and, and I don't want this to come out sounding crude, but if you're running something that far behind what the other guys have and you still finish in the top ten, I think that is absolutely amazing, and that goes to your talent more than it goes to anything else. So I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, when I, when I race, I always search for legitimately because, uh, well, of course, I started in go-karts. I worked my way up to, to race cars. Uh... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Uh, into stock cars, uh, I would say without having that much of a big budget to race in, a, in quite a costly patient. And um, yeah, I said I always search for legitimacy in order to, to know if I have some, some potential to pursue my dream of racing in America one day. And um, yeah, it means a lot to me to, to give it all uh, when I'm on the racetrack um, and just just let it all on the racetrack because I don't want to have any regrets. Well, so far it doesn't sound like you should have, but who has helped you in the most, or helped you the most in your career so far? Uh, my mother, definitely. Uh, <laughs> my mother was uh, the, the first person who supported me and uh, who helped me. Uh, she convinced my father to, to buy me the, the first go-kart, and she, she's always helped me, uh, whether it's for searching sponsors or even learning to set up a go-kart at the beginning. She didn't even know what the tire pressure was. Uh, we didn't even know we were complete newbies, but we, we learned, and uh, she's always been by my side, and even today. So my mother and my father, of course, for, for supporting me financially and allowing me to to, to race uh, as much as, as we can. And, uh, yeah, these are my two main sponsors. Yeah, finding sponsors over here is <laughs> far from being an easy task. It's, it's quite difficult, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and especially being you know being a, Euro, a European driver uh, in Europe, there's not that that big of a racing culture. So it's yeah, it's a, it's a shame because I want to share my passion with people, with companies. I tell them, hey, I I, I see my my racing activities as as a as a passion, also as, as something where I, where people can invest and and help me. Being the, the first European driver in uh, in NASCAR uh, racing regularly in. Uh, in, in, in the United States, that would be my dream. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, yeah. first of all, is there a downside to racing for you? Is there something about racing you wish you didn't have to deal with? Mm, maybe uh, I'm going deaf because the sound of the engine is way too loud. <laughs> that's the only downside I can think of. No, it's all pleasure, you know. Uh, it's all something that I enjoy, and apart from the cost also, but that's that's another aspect of racing. There's, there's no really downside of racing. Every time I get on the racetrack, I'm just happy. There's nothing that could make me sad. I love that. Well, do they make <laughs> earplugs over there in Europe? I'm sorry? Do they make earplugs in Europe? Uh, no. <laughs> 
in in the in helmet. We 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 just kind of hear between the radio and the engine. This is this is crazy. Yeah, well, I have been around it for sixty sixty eight years, and mm-hmm. I the doctor the ear doctor. My wife has hearing aids, and when we go to the ear doctor, he is just amazed that I can hear perfectly. You know, he <laughs> he can't understand that, but I guess that's just way way some people's ears. What other activities do you participate in, Charles? Do you have any hobbies or anything else that takes your attention other than all your hard studying in school? <laughs> well, that takes a lot of time um, studying uh, econometrics because my other passion is finance, and uh, I like the stock exchange markets. It's uh, uh, I kind of associate it with racing. It's taking risks, and it's something that I like. And uh, it's, a, it's a passion that I've had since uh, not long ago. And I'm learning every day about it, and this is why I started my, my studies in the Netherlands. And apart from this, uh, well, racing in real life as well as in in, virt- in virtual racing online, and uh, yeah, that that that's about it. Taking care of my body, uh, doing some sports, uh, swimming, running, and uh, much like Zach, uh, Zach Banks that I, that I met at. Uh, at, uh, at Fontenay Le Comte in France uh, in 2019 in October for the, the test day of the NASCAR within your series we, we talked about it and yeah we, we like to do the, the same thing uh, running is a, is a huge part of it and I started running again not long ago and it's such a pleasure to to save the race I give it all and, and hurt yourself but you, you get out of it grown up and you're proud of yourself yeah I know Zach runs a lot in fact I think the last time I saw his post on social media he had had just come in from like a 16.3 mile run or something along those lines. Uh-huh. And he uh, told me he signed up for an ultra marathon. So I have no idea what this is, but the name sounds horrible. <laughs> it's, that's like 26 point some odd miles. It's that's like, a lot. As a marathon. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather do that in a fast Mercury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, I, I, now, follow, I follow Zach in a race car. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, now you've already alluded to this, but let's get into some in-depth details on your yep. your plans and dreams for the future. Yeah, um, well, I'm going to talk about the really near future first um, because sure. this is what I've been working on. Uh, and I have, a, I have people over here in California in the United States that are so kind and they are trying to help me go over in American race uh, race in, uh, in Super Late models uh, at Owendale Speedway and you know the first race at Owendale Speedway this year is the Sunrise Ford All-Star Showdown it's on February the 1st which is pretty soon and uh, we've been trying to, to find a race car and find partners which is the, the main uh, thing that is uh, preventing me from, from taking part in the race and to find some additional budget to race and um, yeah, I have this opportunity to race in America. That that's my main goal for for 2020. Uh, you know, I've raced in Europe on ovals, on the two ovals that are active in Europe. And uh, I feel like if I really want to know if I if I can race against the best oval driver, of course I have to go to America because the the sport is born there. The, the best racers are are American, and uh, they're so used to it compared to me. I, I have to. To, to race against them to see where 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 I am compared to them. Well, in one of our previous conversations, you told me you had come to Charlotte and participated mm-hmm. in the Richard Petty driving experience. Tell us about that. What was that? Uh, that was that was the most wonderful wonderful trip of my life. Uh, 
and it was with with my mother. I was uh, sixteen. It was in twenty sixteen, uh, and uh, for two three days, I, I visited Charlotte, the the Hall of Fame, and and the city, and then the. The, the culminating point was was racing uh, with the Richard Petty driving experience. So I got 50 laps around the speedway. Uh, I had never driven on such a steep banked racetrack, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, it just confirmed me that I really wanted to race on ovals because at the time I never raced on an oval. I only raced stock cars on what cools in Europe, and that was my first time on an oval. And I said, Nah, I, I don't want to ever drive something different i just want to do oval and uh, and do it in america what did you do what kind of speed did you turn what was your lap time best lap time in uh, your experience? i can't remember my best lap time but my top speed was 141 miles per hour that's all i remember well that's enough I mean, that's <laughs> well, I mean, I was I was kind of jealous because some of the guys uh, went up to 150, but I mean, I only got to 140. But that was that was cool at the time. Well, I think somebody told me, and I don't know this for a fact, but somebody mm-hmm. told me they have restrictors on those cars that will not let them exceed 150. So <laughs> yeah, they do, and they they turn it up or down depending on how you behave on the racetrack. Well, uh, I hope you, you behave. <laughs> yeah, I listened carefully to to what my instructor told me. I remember uh, Chase Cabry, uh, who is racing in the Canaan Pro Series now, uh, was there. He was an instructor, so I got to talk to talk with him. That was also a great experience to share uh, our passion. And uh, well, I was younger. I didn't understand English as much as I do today. I would say, and uh, I struggled a little bit at the beginning, but it all went better in the end. So it was really a great experience. Well, it is, and the only language I know is English. And when Zach first talked to me about you and said you were from France, I thought, oh, boy, well, this will never work because I know no French. He said, bonjour, <laughs> and I got that out of Beauty and the Beast. That's great. That's perfect. I mean, you know, French people, they, they're not known uh, for, for speaking very much foreign languages. But, I mean, that's also something that, I, that I'm trying to, 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 to put into my project to to, to represent French people in America and uh, and to represent them well. God, you gonna you will do that. I'm telling you. Do you have any advice you want to share for any other racers working their way up? Uh, not to give up. Never give up, and uh, just in, enjoy it. Take as much pleasure as you can uh, out of racing. And I mean, if even if. Uh, nothing goes your way. Just uh, enjoy the moments you you are given the opportunity to live. And uh, well, I uh, for instance, I never thought I, I would make met Zach uh, at the uh, NASCAR Within Your Series Recruitment Day, and uh, it's it's been one of the the highlight of of that day meeting him. And uh, that's it. Just try to find the the little pleasure of, of racing uh, every time you can, and uh, and and never give up. To leave racing, be be racing all the time. Wake up at 8 a.m. and and be already in a racing mindset. And uh, turn on your computer, go play on a simulator if you can have real life sit time. And uh, uh, that's about it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I am fortunate enough to have formed a friendship with Zach. He was our mm-hmm. first one we had when we started our Tuesday night show. Oh, a year, year and a few months ago. And mm-hmm. it, we have become good friends, and he has done 
so many things that just show what a talent he's got. And you are right there with him, Charles. You are right there <laughs> on the same talent. Both of you guys. In fact, what you just said is so mature, it far exceeds your years. And that's like me talking to Zach. Sometimes he's so mature, I have to flip his picture up and make sure I'm not talking to a 70-year-old guy. You know? <laughs> just so so much. All right, what's important to you that we have not discussed? Anything we left out? Um, no, as I would say, I don't want to seem to, to, to insist too much, but, you know, every opportunity, I know you have a lot of people over here in America listening to the podcast. Uh, so if those people, uh, they, they want to contact me, if they, they have ideas about, about partnerships or, or sponsorships, the opportunities that you can have in America to help me make my debuts in America. To help a, a young French driver uh, make it easy in a super late model race or that kind of, of, of opportunity, I'm all in to, to discuss about it and also exchange about my project. You know, I started a blog, a website that's called uh, The Conquest, and a YouTube channel that I'm trying to 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 publish re- regularly videos. Um, I'm all in to talk about my project and exchange with people in America and uh, over here, everywhere in the world. So. Yeah, I'm all open. If people want to talk with me and exchange with me, like you exchange with, with me at the beginning, it's, this is something that I, that I can uh, really do and that I will do with pleasure because I love sharing my passion. That's something that I can't do too much as uh, I'm quite lonely in Europe uh, amongst road races. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, sharing sharing is caring and I want to share my passion. That's the, the biggest thing about racing. Well, we'll just have to make arrangements where you and I just get together and... and talk on Skype about once a month or so, so we can keep up with it. But, uh, you know, when I think about all that's going on in your world, it is so important to me to know that there are people out there like you that want to come to America and race. You know, we heard, we are heard around the world. Mm-hmm. We're heard on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Play. So you can find us anywhere do but tell the people how they can find you i know you're on facebook and your last yep. name is spelled l-a-c-a-r-r-e correct exactly charles the car uh all right where else can they find you uh on instagram at the same uh, same name or even on youtube uh, i have the same name everywhere everywhere so that makes it easier uh, they can find me uh, on google even if they type charles the car they will find my website right at the top of the search results mm-hmm. and uh, yeah instagram facebook youtube and uh that's it well that's great i mean charles you you show all the promise of someone who is going to come over here and set the racing world on fire by being <laughs> our first European driver to come in. Or at least I can't think of any other driver that came straight from Europe to come over here and race. And I'm looking forward to when that happens. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person and hope that happens before too long. All right, any final words? Because we are just about out of time. Ah, well, I'll be quick. I'll just say thank you, team, uh, for uh, for sending me up uh, and uh, having me on the podcast. That's a great opportunity. And, uh, uh, well, that was quite a challenge. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I set up quite late. I tried my best. I uh, wanted to do it live because uh, 
because that, that that's a challenge in itself and uh, i hope i'll i'll do good and uh, i'm all open to to do it one more time to see if i can improve and uh, and many more times to to always get better and uh, well thank you very much for for having me uh, it means a lot to me because you know uh, i fell in love with america and with its people uh, when i discovered nascar and i have a huge respect for 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 all the people that are a part of oval racing in, in america so it, it means a lot to me thank you very much i'll never thank you enough and uh, thank you, Zach, also, who set me up with you. And, um, and that's it. Final word. Thank you. Well, Charles, thank you. It has been a real honor and pleasure to have you on as our first international guest. Now, you know, these shows are archived. So if you want any of your friends to listen to it, all they've got to do is Google. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Racing Spotlight, and it'll come up with all the archives, and yours will be on top for a week, so they'll be able to listen to it. But uh, you, you've been fantastic. I am totally thrilled that we were able to do this tonight, and it's now one thirty-one your time, so you need to get some sleep, my man. Charles. No, I can go all night. <laughs> you know, if, if I didn't have different segments coming up, I would just keep you on all night. But I thank you so much, and we will talk again soon, believe me. I'm pretty sure of it. I know it. All right, you have a good night, and thank you so much. Thank you very much, team. You're welcome. Have a good evening. You too. Okay, folks, you have heard from the Netherlands a young Charles Lacar, who is a racer with a very bright future who wants to come to America, and we certainly can't wait to get him over here. But you are listening to the Racing Spotlight on the iCast Media Network, and we're happy that you are listening, and we certainly want everybody around the world to know that we do these shows live, even when it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and we, <laughs> you know, that's just, just a very, very special thing that Charles would do that for us. So, you know, I, I don't know, it's just... Just amazing. I appreciate everything that goes on, everything that we do. Just amazing. All right. Let me see. I've got to disconnect Charles. Charles, are you still on there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I just need to get you disconnected so I can get the next one on. But thank you, buddy. We'll talk okay, soon. Okay, no problem. Oh, you know, if, I don't, if you don't tell me to get out, I'll stay there up all night. I wish you could. <laughs> Wait till you get over here. Right. We're going to take you up on that. Yeah, I'll see you. Bye. <laughs> Good night, Charles. Bye-bye. All right. So let's move on. We'll have to call up Mr. Cody Dinsworth. 
and see what he's up to tonight. I don't, I, uh, talk with him sometime today. No, I did not. I texted with him sometime today. But Happy New Year to everybody that to whom I have not yet said Happy New Year. Uh, we've started this off right with our desire to not only broadcast around the world, but to have interviews with drivers from around the world. And we, we will see that moving on up in the future, I hope. And if Cody Densmore doesn't answer his phone by the third ring, he's fired. All right, Cody, where are you? Hello, Tim. Hello, Cody. Happy New Year, and how are you? I'm doing really good. I uh, hope you're doing uh, good as well. And It's been, been a long time since we've talked. It, it seems like uh, I'm not going to remember what to do now. Well, it was last year, and I'm doing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Thank you. Well, all right. <laughs> we did our, just so you'll know, we did our first international broadcast tonight with a young man in the Netherlands. That was the first, wow. first 30 minutes of the show, and it, it was just a thrill. I have talked with him a couple of times on Skype prior to the show, and it's just something to, you know, it just really makes my heart feel good to know that we've got people around the world that love the sport as much as we do and I'm talking NASCAR now I'm not talking European racing but it was great to have him on now not knowing what to talk about have you heard that the Daytona 500 is probably going to be running with hood ornaments after the first stage <laughs> no how, how is that well I understand a bunch of these people with the climate change are going to walk across and block the track when they throw the caution flag or the green-white checker for the first stage. Oh, yeah. And they go block the track. Now, I mean, you you tell me, do you think there's any self-respecting cup driver? <laughs> Never mind. I got to get out of that. I, I'm fixing to get in a lot of trouble, I'm sure. But anyway. Well, I mean, it is, it is your show, so. Well, it's our show. This, this is your segment. Whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I, w- I was thinking about that. I uh, thought, what could I possibly talk about? And it just, there's been stuff happening in the racing world. It's just not as, as prevalent as, you know, typically what we talk about. But, you know, I'm sure we could fill up this 45-minute uh, segment. But, you know, since the last time we talked, there has been some significant um, issues go on, um, uh, passings and uh, different rule changes, whatnot. Because, um, you know, the last time we talked, I, I pretty much spent the whole 45 minutes talking about Lloyd C., because uh, that was the week after I cleaned up his headstone. Right. And, um, you know, that was something I, I really enjoyed doing, was talking about um, the history aspect and, you know, not only uh, racing history, but local history to me. So it's just a, just a win-win. Um, but anyway, you know, right after that, I think it was a, a day or two after we talked last on the show that junior johnson passed away uh i think that was the the following wednesday or thursday after the show and of course that was just such a such a great loss you know uh i never was fortunate enough to meet junior johnson and i regret that all the time there was a couple opportunities that that i had and it just didn't work out um there were several times that he came down to dawsonville for the moonshine festival um in October, and the first time that I knew he was there, 
you know, I was, I was small kid, really. I was like 10 probably. And, um, he was signing his moonshine bottles, uh, in town. And, uh, I think they ran out and he had to go down to, you know, other, other, other side of the County to sign at another liquor store. Uh, and then I think the next time he just kind of showed up and nobody really knew it until he was already there and gone. And, um, you know, so I never got the opportunity. There was actually a couple of guys from Dawsonville, um, David Sosby, who Bill Blair knows very well, uh, and Gordon Perkle that went to what I think was the last of Junior's uh, country breakfast that he used to do every Saturday morning years ago before he moved up to, I guess, Charlotte area uh, from Wilkesboro. And, um, you know, so I regret not getting to meet him, but, you know, just the story. And I, I was so glad to know how many people recognized Junior Johnson. I mean, I that was on not only just NASCAR news, but, I mean, I saw it on national news yeah. um, outlets. I mean, it was, it was a big thing, which is, you know, great for NASCAR history, great for the Johnson family. Um, and, you know, I hope that as many people were introduced to Junior through his passing, uh, will maybe take that and say, I'd like to learn you know, more about maybe his era, the, the moonshine history, the early stock car racing. Um, you know, maybe that will just be kind of a gateway to ob- obtaining more history fans here, you know, which, you know, it, it could and it couldn't. Um, but I can tell you that Junior Johnson had an incredible story. Uh, and any way you look at it, I mean, if we just talked about Junior Johnson, the moonshiner, that's an incredible story. If you talk about Junior Johnson, the race car driver, that's an incredible story. And then if you talk about Junior Johnson, the car owner, again, that by itself is an incredible story. And for that same guy to have all, excuse me, all of that history over, a, gosh, a 40-year career or something like that, I mean, it, it, it's amazing for 50 wins as a, as a driver, let alone having six uh, championships and a hundred and gosh, thirty something wins as an owner. And of course, you know when when Junior was a driver, um, you know some could argue it it was tougher competition. It wasn't as tough competition as it is now. I mean, there's so many factors, and you could say the same thing about any of those old drivers. You know, definitely the cars were probably harder to, harder to drive. Uh, no, there probably wasn't as many competitive drivers or uh, drivers on the lead lap as maybe there is now Uh, regardless though it was it was a challenge because if it was easy then you know every week it'd be a different winner and uh you know for junior johnson to did what he did um you know being a moderately successful race car driver especially in you know like 55 he goes to jail he comes back as a racer and you know he's he picked up picked up right where he left off, and um, I mean just an amazing story to to get to, and I think we're very fortunate that Junior Johnson was not shy about his past and how often he was uh, recorded telling his stories and whatnot. Because uh, I think I guess probably Tim the last time on the show we talked about you know once somebody dies you know they they die once and then. Once they die a second time, it's when nobody talks about them anymore. Right. And um, so, you know, it's a shame to think that, but, um, you know, that was just such an incredible loss. And, um, 
it's unfortunate that there's so many of those guys from that era that is uh, you know just quickly going away and that that history of the sport is is going with it yeah you're right exactly right Cody but you know I think as long as there is a NASCAR Junior Johnson's memory will always be a part of it because you can't evade it he was the one that brought Winston RJR into the fold mm-hmm. in, in 70, 71 or 72. Went, and you can say that he virtually saved NASCAR because at that particular time, I mean, I don't think it was about to close up shop and run, but they were going through some hard, hard times then because they had... Well, and they needed some help, and yeah. they were, you know, the RJR, RJR folks were more than willing to help. Um, you know, you can credit Junior to a lot of stuff. I mean, bringing bringing Winston in, um, uh, you know, a title sponsor for almost well, a little over thirty years. Um, you know, he discovered drafting first, which is you know the what you have to do to be successful at a uh, a large track these days. I mean, what else did he do? <laughs> he probably mandated some pit pit road rules, uh, <laughs> and as far as the 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 Jack and stuff go like that um which i think i think after that and i know you know the incident i'm talking about but for anybody that doesn't is that incident it's like 75 i don't think they were quite 75 yeah i think it was the carling car or car care i don't think it was holly farms just yet but i think they were at talladega and the uh official who i actually know and i didn't know that he was that official until junior died um, but Johnny Randall's his name, and um, he, he was that official that Junior knocked over. But um, you know, anyway, Junior was the Jackman because he was the biggest guy on the on the crew, uh, and he was going from the right side of the car to the left side of the car. And instead of you know the lightweight carrying the jack that they do now, I mean, Junior slung this big. I mean, you know those old school shop jacks that are probably. 50 pounds, 60 at pounds, least, and he was just slinging that thing and just swept the official's feet right out from under him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after that, not one, not only did the official not get in the way, but two, uh, I'm pretty sure after that they made some sort of rule. I don't I don't know if it was you had to carry the jack or, or you couldn't swing it or something like that. But, um, but you know, he, he made a lot of rules. Junior had already warned that guy twice to stay mm. out of the way. And, and the third day figured the third time, no more warning, whack. But I remember that. I remember that so well. So plain. Mm. But and, was, then, and then Junior, uh, you know, was involved with the rule of uh, no more engine changes during the race because I believe it was Martinsville in 82 when they, from the time the car entered the garage to leaving the garage during the cup race, was like something like the numbers eleven and the number fourteen sticks out in my mind. I can't, I can't quite think of what which one it was, but it was under fifteen minutes, regardless, to do a complete engine change and back in the race. Yeah, I mean that was an amazing thing. That's when NASCAR said no more engine changes. You know, right, they didn't want people spending money, or or what? I don't know the reasoning behind it, but I don't know. The reasoning behind a lot of things NASCAR did back in those days, but they were trying to keep the sport clean, I guess. And then the other thing, when I think about Junior Johnson in the in the modern era, I mean, obviously, 
you know, winning six championships, uh, still considered the modern era. Um, but think about, you know, the late eighties, early nineties and the shop that they used was honestly just a three or four car garage, you know, in the back of his property. Oh yeah. You know, and, and in the late eighties, early nineties, I mean, the NAS, the sport was still small, you know, it, it was going big, but it was still small. Um, you know, and, and Junior Johnson Associates was, you know, one of the big powerhouse teams. You look at other shops at the time, and you look at old shops of Hendrick Motorsports and, um, you know, Elliott's, uh, RCR, um, you know, the the Leo Jackson cars and um, uh, Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds cars, um, you know, stuff like that. And it's, it's a decent-sized shop. You know, it's just once you, you picture a moderate size shop not the not the massive ones they have now but you know it was a decent sized building and then you look at junior johnson and you think that's really a detached garage behind his house and that's what it was but you think about it you know he brought in the best people um you know and i've heard from a lot of people that worked for him that he was you know easy to work for um Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. He would obviously want things his way, but he wouldn't get mad at you or anything like that for, you know, doing something wrong. He'd more or less coach you. And I think that is important uh, to not only run a race team, but a business, you know, instead of being the boss and, you know, sitting behind a desk with your feet on the, on the desk, you know, just, it, it seems like Junior was the one to get out there and coach and listen and teach and, um, whatever stuff like that but it always amazing when you see a picture or a video of junior johnson's shop even right before it closed in the early 90s um you know how little of an operation they were i mean you know to me i think of bill elliott being you know from here in dawsonville and he left you know their family team melling racing and the shop that they built in 88 which is what chase used when they ran late models that's a pretty decent sized shop for the time. That's the one you and I went to the day I was over there with you, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So they built that shop in eighty eight. Um they ran the rest of the Coors days out of that. Um when McDonalds came around they, they put the operation back in there. And then finally when Chase started doing late models, they were again running out of there. And before that, you know, they had a smaller shop probably about the same size. I mean, it was, it was smaller. Um, you know, and Bill goes to junior 92. He right out of the box wins almost the Daytona 500. Not quite. He got wrecked out. Um, he probably would have won it 
but then goes on to win the next four races in a row, following up with the final race at Atlanta and finish second in the championship. So, I mean, needless to say, they had a really good season. And then you look at the shop they came from, and it's just a little, you know, what I still consider a detached garage behind Junior's property. So, stuff like that, it's just kind of fascinating to me to what can be done with so little. Yeah, but I think as small as the shop was, the knowledge between the ears of Junior Johnson made far more of a difference than how many square feet they had in that shop building. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, like I said, he had an eye for for talent and finding the right people for the job. Um, you know, and, and during that time, I, I guess Tim Brewer would have been Bill's uh, crew chief, which arguably is one of the better ones in, in NASCAR. I mean, he's had a very good career, and you think of uh, Jeff Hammond and um, – Gosh, I can't even think off the top of my head, but there's just been so many good people working for Junior. I mean, he definitely had the the eye for talent, and uh, you know, he he knew what he was doing. So. Well, the one I think about with Junior is Herb Nab, because yep, Herb he, Nab. he was. I mean, that guy was brilliant. He was so you just can't describe him. He was quiet. He was brilliant. He had a temper like a. Right, never mind. He just had a temper. <laughs> so, but he did. He knew what he was doing, and they had great success together. I think he was with with uh, Junior for I don't know, probably ten or twelve that was years, good. maybe. Yeah, that was a pretty good while he was there. In fact, it was like Junior Johnson and Herb Nab went together like pancakes and syrup. <laughs> oh. Um, well, I guess what what else we could talk about, because I think not long after that happened, um, with Junior passing, I don't know if it was the day before, day after, week after, you know, that whole week of Christmas just kind of runs together for me with so much going on. Yeah. Um, but it was big news with, uh, Haley Deegan going to Ford. And I, I don't, I think if you didn't hear that, I mean, it was. It, it was on. It was on every single news outlet known to man. It seems like, you know, because that was a big deal. And I don't, I don't think we talked too much about Haley. Um, I, I do think that she uh, is a good, good thing for NASCAR. Uh, I think that she can drive, and she's got the talent. She's got the the looks, the you know, the personality, the whole the whole package of what NASCAR would want or a team owner. But I do think that she has the ability to drive, whereas some other uh, females in the past may have gotten there on other personality traits, we'll say. Um, You know, good for the camera. I think that there genuinely is a lot of female drivers out there that are capable of winning and are good drivers to run with the men uh, and be just one of the, just a regular driver out there and be successful. But they are limited on their funds and and how they're able to race and go on track. And I think with Haley Deegan going to Ford, uh, I think there's a lot of people now know who she is that may not have knew her before when she was a Toyota develop, developmental driver. Um, you know, I think that was a, a great move for, um, for Ford. I imagine that she'll be a, a Stuart Haas driver 
you know, not next year or anything like that, but, you know, as time progresses, I'm sure she'll probably be in line for a, a Stuart Haas contract. Um, you notice that they put her uh, in IMSA for the, basically what it was this past weekend, they call it the roar before the 24, which is basically practice uh, and testing for the 24 hours and later this month. And so she's going to be driving a Mustang along with, uh, I think, Chase Briscoe. I think he's driving the same car. So they're going to share that car, which, you know, I think that's a great idea because obviously I'm a fan of road racing. We've talked about it many times before. I think that not only will help uh, their driving ability, but I think that will introduce those drivers to more eyes. Uh, and, you know, I love the car that she's driving. It's in the, um, actually, they just changed the name of the series, so I can't quite think of it. It's, I think it's the Michelin Pilot Sport Challenge. Basically, it is the Xfinity is to cut. You know, it's the second tier series. Um, the cool thing about IMSA is that she is in a real bodied car. You know, it, it's a Mustang. It's got the same body panels. It's got an opening door. Uh, it's on GT350 variant, so I mean, it's got the same engine block that you can buy in a street GT350, which you know, I think is cool. It's basically the closest thing to the old Trans Am series. And um, so, anyway, I'm just kind of rambling about that. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make is I think that Haley Deegan is going to be a good thing for NASCAR. I think that she. You know, has the whole package that they're looking for. I think she will uh, appeal to a lot of fans. Uh, and I think that she has a driving ability that, you know, may actually be uh, beneficial to her. So, uh, but that was a big, a big piece of news right before the, uh, right before the new year came out. And uh, I think there's a lot of people looking forward to seeing her move up. Yep. Uh, that was a bunch of news. And, you're right. It was on everything, everywhere. No matter where you looked, it was on there. Now, I saw today, this afternoon, apparently, Penske said that the crew chiefs for Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano and uh, Ryan Blaney. Blaney, they're switching them all around. And so, in other words, yeah. Paul Wolf's not going to be with Keselowski anymore. I don't really see the reasoning behind all that but then I'm not Roger Penske and he's a hell of a lot smarter than I well Penske also just finalized the deal to complete the, the acquisition of of the IndyCar series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway so yes he did yeah you know when, when you look at this just the stats current day of Roger Penske what all he does he has his hands in what his teams do just today it's it's amazing, and then when when you look and see what he's had and done over the last fifty years, I mean, I don't think people give him enough credit. Um, you know, there was a, a stat, and I'll, I'll get back to the crew chiefs in a second. But there was a stat I read last week about you know his various teams for all of the NASCAR teams, all the IMSA teams, the um, IndyCar teams, and the um, the uh, Australian Rally teams. And I wish I could just remember some of the some of the figures because it was just astronomical numbers um, for all of those teams combined of how many uh, championships were won just last year, how many races were won, how many um, you know laps led 
all that kind of stuff. And you think in each series, he's got at least three cars, uh, and in some some cases four. So regardless, he is a, he just does a, a class act operation. Now, back to the crew chief, I did read that yesterday, and I was a little, um, you know, on one hand I was a little shocked, uh, on one hand I wasn't, because it seems like Penske is known for keeping things together for a long time. You know, you never go to Penske and drive for him for one or two seasons. It, you know, when, when you get to, to Team Penske, you're there for a long time. Uh, same thing with the sponsors. You notice the sponsors hardly ever change. Now, that being said, I haven't seen any Miller Lite renderings this year. Um, and I know we've talked about before, they have been severely cutting back from just a couple seasons ago. You know, a couple seasons ago, it was 36 races, um, and somewhere around 2015 or 2014, they went to like 24 races, uh, then 18, then 12, and you know, maybe eight. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing this year, but I haven't seen anything uh, regarding their sponsorship. Now so, that you uh, mention it, neither have I. I hadn't even thought about it, but you're well, right, I haven't. Well, every paint scheme I've seen released of, of Keselowski's. Um, it doesn't have the small little light symbol, uh, on the quarter panel. So on one hand, that, that's kind of a shame to see because that has been a relationship lasting since 91 with that car. So, I mean, almost 30 years of, of that, of their sponsorship on that car. So that's, that's kind of, that's going to be a shame if they do, um, if they do decide to go separate ways and, you know, re, rebrand their sponsor dollars or whatever but anyway to get back to your question about the the crew chiefs you know the uh paul wolf and kozolowski have been together since they came to penske in like 2010 yeah and they've been successful that whole time uh because you know they won if you can remember they won the nationwide championship that year as owner as owner crew chief or owner driver crew chief all three of them roger paul wolf and and brad and then, you know, they done the same thing in 2012 for the Cup Championship. And I've always thought that they worked well together. You know, they were. It's very rare. I feel like that you get those those crew chief pairings, uh, like Chad Canasta, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Dale Inman, and, and Richard Petty. Uh, I would probably go to say Kirk Chalmerdine and, and Earnhardt. You know, Ernie Elliott and Bill um, uh, Ray Evernham and Gordon. I mean, they're. And even even currently, like Cole Fern and Truex, which is not anymore either. But you know, it's it's very rare that you get a, a driver and a crew chief that bond, that mesh really well, and they're there together for a long time. They get kind of free reign over what to do. And so, I was kind of sad to see that that duo being split apart. As was I. On the other hand, if I'm Roger Penske, I'm going to look at the fact that Brad was not really performing well this season. Now, you can look back in the record book and say, well, he had three wins. That's not a bad season. And it's not. But if you compare those three wins and kind of his average finish, which, you know, I don't know where that is on top of my head, what his average finish was, uh, it's not near as good as what it has been in the last several seasons, you know, the last, say, four or five, six years. And, um, you know, he finished, what, ninth or tenth in the standings this year. So, I mean, they had a good year but it wasn't on par for what they normally are competing with, I, I feel like. So, yeah. so uh, um, Cody, let me do a station break. Yeah, go ahead. 
You are listening to the Racing Spotlight on the iCast Media Network around the world, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Back to you, Cody. All right. Um, but, you know, I I think that Penske is willing to take, uh, take risk. I think he's willing to uh, move people around to try and make his whole operation better. And, you know, if that's what it's going to take, I, I think that he's going to be successful with it. So it's just going to be a matter of, um, you know, what, what, can, what he can make happen. So Paul Wolf, Jeremy Bullins, and Todd Gordon, I believe Todd is going to the two car. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. So he was Logano's crew chief, um, which he won the 2018, uh, cup championship. I believe Jeremy Bullins is going to the twin. Uh, let me think. I, I don't, yeah, think because I can't remember it either. And I saw. I know. Right before I know that Paul. I know that Paul, who is with Brad, is going to the twenty-two car of Logano. I know that for a fact. And I want to say Todd Gordon is going to um, the twelve car. And then I want to say Jeremy Bullins is going to the two car. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what I saw. So we we might get confused again, but each one of those crew chiefs has won a championship. So Paul Wolf has both the nationwide and a um, cup championship. Todd Gordon has a cup championship. Jeremy Bullins, who a lot of people forget about, he won as the Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. But they won the owner championship in nationwide in like 13 and 14, I believe. So it wasn't the driver's championship, but they did claim the owner championship uh, those two seasons. So, you know, they all know what they're doing. And sometimes it's it's good to get a fresh set of eyes. And that's with anything. I mean, that's with business. That's with, uh, um, you know, anything. You know, sometimes it may not feel the best to, you know, move somebody that you've been so close with for so long. But sometimes it's good to have a first set of eyes come in and say, well, you know, why are you doing this? Let's, let's do this. Let's do it this way. And, you know, sometimes it'll work out just great. So, but you know, there's, there's been a lot of things like that that happened in the past where, um, you know, a new crew chief comes in and it's immediate success. So we'll, we'll see. I'm also interested to see, um, what happens with Truex. And I know they've named his replacement, uh, for Colburn. I can't remember his name. Uh, Perns just taking time off, which seems like a, a pretty common theme now uh, in the Cup series to go, you know, quit and go spend time with his family, which, you know, kudos to him. 
I read something that he's going to open up a ski lodge or something. I read Canada. that too. Yeah, he's from Canada. And yeah, I, I heard that too that he was going to open a ski lodge there. So but, you know, ever since that that him and Martin got together, I mean, they have been just like you said, two peas in a pot, and uh, you know, pancakes and syrup, if you will. So. You know, that's another thing. Like, I'm kind of sad to see those those guys get split apart because that was just a just a rare combination. And uh, I'm interested to see if they're still going to have the success with the 19 car uh, without Cole Pern there. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, that's something that puzzles me, too, is how that's going to play out. Also, I saw maybe you have seen it or maybe you haven't, but there's speculation that Kyle Larson is going to be driving in the Daytona 500. Did you see that? No, not Kyle Larson. Oh, I always get... Who's the watermelon man? Oh, Chastain. Chastain is going to be oh, driving okay. in the Daytona 500 in a satellite team for Chip Canassi. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, did not see that, that but hit, that wouldn't surprise me. That's it's speculation right now, but that hit social media... Uh, probably about two o'clock this afternoon was the first time I saw it. Huh. Now, I didn't see that, but that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, because if I'm not mistaken, the colleague racing who he's driving in the extended series for, um, is, I think they get their engines or their chassis from Ganassi. You know, Chastain drove for Ganassi in the Xfinity series before that sponsor went bankrupt and they had to close the team. Yeah. Um, and also, if you remember last last year, eighteen or nineteen, I can't remember which one it was. I guess is I guess is this last year for twenty nineteen when Jamie McMurray decided to call it quiz after Daytona, and Ganassi brought out the number forty car to let him run that one that one race, and then they put it away. So I would imagine same type of thing would happen. Um, you know, obviously, because Daytona 500 is prestigious. It pays very well to start. Uh, and Ross has the cup experience. A lot of people forget that he still drives, um, albeit not a, not as competitively as he does in the lower series, but he still drives in most of the cup races, if not all. Yeah. You know, so, I, I don't know why I have such a hard time calling his name because I can see his face. I can see his <laughs> wins. I can see everything. But Ross Chastain does just not roll easily off of my tongue. And I don't know why that is. I, I just don't understand it. I guess a lot of people will say it's my age and senility. Well, Tim, you just know so many people. Sometimes it's hard to uh, keep everybody apart, you know? Uh, I'll have to think on that one, Cody. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I have the same problem you do, so... Um, but you know, you're talking about, you mentioned Kyle Larson made me think, um, Larson and Christopher Bell have been in New Zealand for, I don't know, probably nearly a month now, uh, raising midgets and sprint cars overseas. And, uh, I mean, they're doing fantastic from what I see. I mean, you see about once a day that, you know, one of them won, one of them finished here, one of them flipped so many times down the front stretch or what have you, but I mean, I, I got to give props to those guys. I mean, basically miss, basically have your Christmas in a foreign country just so you can race. 
oh, on your break away from racing. I mean, uh-huh. those guys are absolutely dedicated, and you know, to me, that just makes, especially Christopher Bell, that just makes him, to me, I'm not going to say a better driver, but a more dedicated driver to hone his craft. Yeah, I know. I've got a a social media friend that lives in New Zealand and attended a couple of those races. And he he asked me in in a text, not a text, a whatever, private message on social Mm -hmm. media the other day if all the drivers up here were as crazy as Kyle Larson. (laughs) And I, I said, define crazy. And he said, the way they drive, that's not how they drive in New Zealand. But Really? Yeah, not apparently not. I mean, I don't know what all Kyle Larson has done down there, but whatever it is, my little friend was just getting a kick out of all of that. Yeah, I don't know, but I I feel like, you know, Kyle Larson doesn't have the NASCAR record he probably would have hoped for. You know, he's he's been in, gosh, Cup for going on six or seven years or something like that. Has it been that long? Yeah. Uh, I I want to say 14, 13 or 14, he started in the Cup Series. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I want to say 14, but uh, which, you know, now that's six years ago. But um, anyway, what I was going to say was, you know, you look at Kyle Larson and, you know, it took him a while to get a win. Uh, He had a couple of seasons where he was winning kind of regularly. But I just hope that when he decides to hang up his helmet many, many years to come, that people will look back just to his name and say he was a heck of a race car driver. You know, if you look in the record book, as far as NASCAR goes, he doesn't have really the, the, right now, he doesn't have the records to prove it. But if you look at him as a whole, he's one of those guys that I would rate up there with Tony Stewart, with uh, A.J. Foyt, with uh, Steve Kinzer, um, and not just saying his accomplishments on dirt, but Kyle Larson has been successful in everything that he's driven. Now, yes. given he hasn't had the opportunity to drive in any car yet, I'm sure he would probably like to, because uh, it's just, I guess it's the mentality for those guys. You know, if, if you race open wheel dirt and if you race NASCAR, you've got to try IndyCar. Well, have you um, heard but that I, Kyle Busch is considering Indy? I've heard that, and I really hope he does. Um, you know, as whatever you say about Kyle Busch, I mean, you know, like I've said, I'm not a Kyle Busch fan. I think he is one of the best drivers, uh, in the last how many ever years or decades or whatever. I mean, I, you can't deny he's got the talent, especially with him going to, uh, racing the 24 hours of Daytona this month, uh, which I'm looking forward to see not only for that, but just, you know, in general, uh, that race. And then, you know, I have heard him say that he, uh, is open to try Indy. Um, you know, I, I have mad respect for anybody that wants to try different forms of motorsports, um, such as Indy and NASCAR and road racing and dirt. And especially when they are accomplished in each of those fields. Um, I mean, that is just incredible to me. And there's very, very, very few people that can do it. It is. Who, who is the highest finishing NASCAR driver at Indy? Um, well, I guess A.J. Floyd, because he won Indy. Um, now I'm talking about regular, all-time NASCAR driver. Full-time NASCAR driver. Uh, it'd be Tony Stewart, then. Nope. 
Donnie Allison yeah. oh, yeah. finished fourth. Donnie did? Donnie Allison finished fourth. I forgot when it was, back in the 70s or mid-80s, I guess, but he finished fourth huh. in the Indy, and he's still, in fact, it's Toss for Tots. He and I were talking about that, and he still considers that one of his biggest thrills. You know, you know, I completely forgot about the fact that he ran Indy cars. Yeah, he did. He got uh, two years, I think, but the fourth place. Yeah, and you know, you, you say that, and I, I remember now that Kel Yarbrough done that. Uh, yeah. uh, Bobby did. Did did Bobby Isaac run the Indy 500? Not that I'm aware of, no. No, he hmm, didn't. Okay. Yeah, I just completely forgot about that. I'm glad you said that. Well, I don't think you were even born when he did it. Of course, I could be wrong about no. that. But, you know, it was just Donnie is, is just a fantastic guy, just like his brother Bobby is. And to hold that, you know, in his in his heart the way he does, I mean, it's a very touching conversation for anybody that listens to it. We got about three minutes, Cody. So whatever you want to talk about, I'm listening. Well, way to put me on the spotlight here. <laughs> um, but um, there was something else I wanted. To, I wanted to touch on. Of course, I can't remember it now. So forgive me on that. Um, but you know, we're let's see. We are on the going on the second week of January. Believe it or not. So. It's not too much longer. There is one thing that I wanted to mention. I, I remembered it now. I am so glad that they have decided to bring back the actual Bush Clash. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I I mean, I almost jumped out of my chair when I read that, however long ago it was, because they used the old school 80s-ish, 90s-ish uh, Bush Clash logo. And I always said, you know, Bush a couple of years ago, I said, Bush is coming back in a NASCAR. Why did they not rename the Clash, especially after they took out the word shootout and put the word Clash in? It was like, why don't you have Bush as a sponsor for that? And it was like the Advanced Auto Parts uh, presents the, this, yeah. the, this and this, the Clash. I mean, you know, but the Bush Clash, that's cool. I'm glad that they're doing that. Uh, I hope that they, you know, kind of are, are doing a lot more throwbacks here um, regarding that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I guess the last thing I can say is that the third uh, Gen 7 car test, or Gen 6, whatever we're on, Gen 7, uh, will be at Homestead, I believe, next month or later this month. So that, that'll that be interesting to see. We're, we're starting to see more details on this upcoming car. I, everything I've read says the manufacturers are really putting in an input as to what it's going to look like. So that yeah. is pretty exciting to hear. Yep, that's what I've heard too. By the way, when is the Bush Clash run? Is it going to be a Sunday afternoon before the Daytona 500 or on Saturday night? Uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, Sunday afternoon before qualifying. I won't be I able think. to see it because I'll be driving down the road to Daytona for for the Back to the Roots celebration, so I will not get to that see is, it. That is one thing, you know, it, that is the traditional Bush Clash is the Sunday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, but I really miss when the duels were in the day and the, the clash was at night. Absolutely. And they, yep. they, they kind of reverted the two, but anyway, that's another, that's another day. So, Well, Cody, our time is up for the night for the first show of the new year and the new decade, and I am so glad you are a part of the Racing Spotlight. Thank you 
for everything you do. I uh, greatly appreciate it and look forward to having hopefully another 52 more. Uh, hopefully there's no breaks or holidays stuck in there in between, but we're going to have a good one, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Take care, Cody. Catch you next week. All righty. Take care. All right. Good night. All right, folks. That was Cody Densmore. Cody Densmore's uh, section of comments, whatever he wanted to talk about tonight. And I think, I, you know, we're very fortunate to have Cody as a part of our show. He brings so much to the table, both as history and what do we want to talk about in today's racing or whatever. I mean, he just, he is so knowledgeable and so well-spoken. It's just totally, totally amazing. Let's get Will Richard on the phone and see what he's got to talk about tonight. You are listening to the Racing Spotlight on ICASP Network. Hello. Hello, Will Richard. This is Tim Leeming. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. It's been a while. Yeah, it, has. it seems. In fact, I didn't even realize it until I sat down here tonight to start the show. It seems like a whole lot longer than what it really was since we were here. It does. So It feels it's only been a couple of weeks, but it feels like it's been a month or so. Yeah, it does. It really does. But other than the the Tuesday night, the 12th of February, when I'll be coming back from Daytona, I don't see any cancellations for any Tuesday night shows for a long, long time. Well, there we go. Well, I've got plenty for us to talk about tonight. All right. Hit me with it. So tonight I've kind of got four items. Um, it's actually not even including the big news that came out today because I haven't digested a bunch of it yet with the new pit, pit, rule, pit road rules and all that. I haven't even got into that. So... The first thing I was going to look at is, obviously, we saw some big crew chief changes announced, uh, I believe it was yesterday. I want to talk on that um, and get your thoughts on what a crew chief really kind of plays a role in. Starting second will be uh, NASCAR announced last week that they're going to look into a 2020 short track package. Um, so we'll see what that may be like. Third is, I actually caught a couple of minutes of, of the earlier in the show, and I know you were talking about uh, drivers running other series. Get your thoughts on that. And then last, um, unfortunately, we lost another legend, Junior Johnson, uh, passed. I, I believe that's been the last couple of weeks. Um, been, yeah. And, and so I know we didn't get a chance. And Junior Johnson's one of those guys. I, obviously, he's a legend. I know the name. I know a little bit of the history. But situations as bad as it is to, to, to lose a legend like that, it gives me an opportunity being on this show and talking with you to learn a lot more about them. So I figured we cap off the show. Um, you kind of giving me a history lesson a little bit more on Junior Johnson. And I figured that'd be a good way to end it up. That sounds good um, to me. That sounds like you are well prepared. Awesome. So, first things first, crew chief changes. So, everybody, if they missed it, Team Penske announced at the cup level they're going to make some crew chief changes. Paul Wolf is going to go from Brad Keselowski. Now he'll be working with Joe Logano. Um, Brad Keselowski will get Jeremy Bullins, who I believe has been Ryan Blaney's crew chief. And then Blaney will get former Logano crew chief Todd Gordon. Uh, both Wolf and Gordon, I believe, are because bo- I remember Wolf won in twelve. So both of those are championship winning crew chiefs. I don't think Bullins has a championship, at least at the Cup level. Um, interesting changes. Definitely not some things I, I you know, I, not some things I saw coming. I really thought that Paul Wolf and Brad Keselowski would sort of be like a Chad announced Jimmy Johnson and last a really long time. Really kind of surprised by this move. Maybe there's things behind the scenes, behind the scenes. But Penske also 
Pinsky's not afraid to put his, his foot down. When he makes a decision, he makes a decision. This may have been something that people didn't even see coming, and he just made a decision. So what are your thoughts on, first, the move of those crew chiefs? And, uh, well, well, first let's start with there, and then i got a follow-up question about that. Well, I think the one that's the surprising one to me is separating Brad and Paul Wolf, because I think right. they, they communicate so well, and it's not to say the other ones, Joy's and Ryan's, don't communicate with their drivers well, but I just thought that, you know, with Paul Wolf and Brad Kazowski, that was the kind of combination where they could almost read each other's mind. Right, and I've always really enjoyed that pairing. I think Paul Wolf, if you look back at 2011 and 2012, which is when Brad Keselowski, 2011 is where he kind of started showing the world what he who he was. 2012, I mean, I'll always have respect for Brad Keselowski simply based on how he won the 2012 championship and how he grinded it out, raced hard all year long. A lot of that was Paul Wolf. I remember when they used to they seemed they would every time there was a fuel mileage race, Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf would win it. Absolutely. Paul Wolf would come up with something to win. Paul Wolf has always had great strategy. He's a crew chief that I've said for years has got to be a top five crew chief on those boxes on Sunday. And that was the move I was really shocked by. Um, even really the Gordon and Logano, I mean, they won a championship together a two years, not even two years ago. I mean, a year before last, they were the champions together. So really shocking to see that move. Um, but really the Paul Wolf one threw me off. And this it just was a crew chief driver pairing that I never thought I would see break apart, at least this early. And so the question I had for you is, for through all your years of watching, have there been any other crew chief driver splits that really shocked you? Now, mine, obviously, are the Canals and Johnson. Um, we sort of saw that coming, but you never thought it would really happen. Uh, Gordon Evernham, I know, was a really big deal, but a lot of that was Evernham wanted to start his own team. I remember Tony Stewart and Scott uh, and Zippadelli and Zippy. I know they used to be very, very close. But what are some other big crew chief moves that you've seen throughout the time that you just never saw coming? Well, the one I never saw coming, and I think the one that shocked me the most of any and will always be in my mind, was the split between Maurice Petty and Richard Petty. Because after that debacle at Charlotte, Richard left the Petty Enterprises team, went to drive for Mike Kerr, and... Uh, Maurice started up his own team at a Ford Thunderbird. He took the Daytona looking for a driver, and I don't remember who who he wound up putting in that car, but it, it didn't do well at all, which was a real surprise for me, knowing all the things that Chief knew how to do to a car. You know, So that's my biggest shocker of a crew chief split up that ever was, and I don't think it'll ever be topped in my opinion. Now, when you say the Charlotte situation, so that would probably be a situation I've I honestly never heard about, don't know much about. So what, what? I've never even heard that at one point Petty left Petty Enterprises. Well, it was Charlotte. It was a fall race at Charlotte in 1982, I believe it was, 1982. And in post-race inspection, they found that Maurice had put inside tires on the outside and vice versa, and that apparently... The engine was, I forgot how many cubic inches, oversized. They let, uh-huh. they let Petty keep the win, but they fined, I, I don't remember what the fine was, but back in the, those days, it was tremendous. And so Richard left Petty Enterprises and went to drive for Mike Curb, and I think he was driving for Mike Curb when he won his 200th race. 
And I think part of the reason NASCAR let Richard keep that victory at Charlotte was they were counting down to get to that 200. And that was either, I think that was his 198th win, I believe I'm correct. And they did not want to take it away from him. They wanted to make sure that they could work it out. And it did work out to come at Daytona in July of 83. So I had heard of the engine debacle, or I'd heard you know bits and pieces of the engine stuff. So I had heard part of it. I did not know the other side effects to it. And so, you know, seeing that throughout history we've seen these kind of big crew chief driver splits, it always seems to be impactful. So from you know, for me, obviously, I know that the crew chiefs are kind of a head coach. They kind of make sure everybody's doing their job. They're doing their jobs. They know how to break down statistics. They know how to break down. And, you know, whatever they need to break down to see how to make a car run faster, what the driver likes, accommodate the driver. So from what do you, from what you've seen, you know, we know crew chief changes are big, but from what you've experienced in talking with drivers and crew chiefs and, and members throughout your years, what really changes when a crew chief changes? You know, what, what is the big impact when a driver has to work with a new crew chief? I think, Will, the major thing is the chemistry and the communication because you take, say, Paul, Wolf, and Brad have worked together for so long that I, I said earlier in the show tonight that it was almost like they could read one another's mind. They, they would know what the other one was thinking and exactly what to do to make up for a, a pit stop screw up or make up for whatever they may have lost on the track. It just seemed like they had that kind of chemistry. And I think the same with Joey Logano and his, his crew chief. I don't think Ryan Blaney's crew chief has had a chance to prove with Ryan what they were able to do. But now that's all being changed. That's all being brought about. Excuse me. Being brought about in a new display of whatever it is they're going to do. I don't particularly care for it, but Roger Penske is a whole lot smarter than I and if he wants to do it, that's that's no problem. But I think we are all, just like every year, we are so geared to looking forward to Daytona in, in a few weeks, 30, what, about 40 days, I think it is. Yeah, it's looking, around that 40, 41 mark. Yeah, looking forward to Daytona. We don't really think about too much else. Of course, I'll be watching the 24 hours of Daytona, too. So we've mm-hmm. got, got all that to think about, but just so many racing things happen at Daytona in February, that's going to be a good a good time to watch, but not a good time to judge the the crew chief changes, oh, yeah. because I don't think you can judge them on one race. Definitely not, and it, it just, you know, it was a shocker when I heard it. I actually heard it a couple hours after it was announced. And, you know, you mentioned the Paul Wolf thing. You know, there's been so many situations, I feel like he's one of the few, and I hate to say that it's a few, but he's one of the few crew chiefs that, to me, are not afraid to roll the dice. There's a lot of crew chiefs these days that I think just kind of settle for what they can get. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with just how the finances of the sport are these days. You know, you can't really make an underfunded car run up front that much anymore. So you sort of have to settle for what you can get. You know, back in the day, you could take a 30th place car and maybe you could run 18th or 19th with it. Um, now, if you have a 30th place car, you, you're if you run 27th, you, you knock it out of the park. So they don't get to roll the dice as much anymore. But Paul Wolf, I think he's one of the few guys that would still roll the dice. We'd still see strategy with him in the two car, um, you know. And I really enjoy seeing that. And, and maybe that happens with Joey Logano now. Joey Logano, I think, wins out of this whole deal. To me, I think he's getting the best crew chief out of the bunch. Um, you know, 
part of me can I, I can't really justify them doing it, but I guess there maybe is a sense of urgency there with Penske. I mean, Joey Logano just won a, a championship. You can't even say two years ago, but technically it was two years ago. You know, Brad Keselowski, I, I'm sure, I believe it was the round of 12 he was eliminated in this year. That may have sparked some of this. And then Ryan Blaney, you know, I've noted for years, Ryan Blaney, who did have a career year, especially points-wise, he's got to get more consistent week in and week out if he's going to ever be a championship contender. Maybe they felt some sort of pressure here. Maybe there's something behind the scenes we don't see, but I definitely did not expect this move, um, especially this late in the ball game. No, neither did I, and like I say, just as you said, it was a shock when I saw it, and I think I didn't see it till this afternoon, I believe, when I was scrolling through some of the social media posts that I try to follow before we get on each show to see if there's going to be anything new to talk about. But, I, I you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens at Daytona, but again, you can't judge it on one race. That's true. So then moving on, obviously 2020 is here. Um, I'm sure everybody heard. I think it was last week they announced it. NASCAR announces a 2020 short track package. And for me personally, I, I have mixed feelings about it. On the performance side, I'm all for it. If we can come up with a package that's going to make racing better, I am all for making the product better. But let me tell you, there's one thing that I am against, I'm still against, is I'm tired of all these different packages and throwing around package. To me, we're throwing around too much vocabulary, too much red tape and rules. It's getting hard for a casual fan to understand. I'm almost to a point where don't even tell me the difference. Just just say we're running a short track. You know, it, it's, it used to be that you could almost run a car anywhere. Now, you'd have to make adjustments to that car. Um, you know, you'd have to change things in the suspension, the aero, but you could almost take a car relatively anywhere. You know, I remember growing up in the early to mid-2000s, really the only car that ever looked different was your regular car, and then you had a super speedway car who had the little bit bigger bumper in the front and the rear, and that was really the only difference you ever saw. Now we've got spoilers for this track and, and something for this track, and we've got an aero duct here, and we don't have an aero duct here. I'm all for better racing, but at some point I'm tired of hearing about packages. Well, you I'm had- tired of... You hit the nail on the head, Will. You're tired of hearing about it. So am I, and and probably a whole lot of other race fans, too. So if they would just stop talking about it and let them get out there and race, but you got these announcers that get on there and analyze everything and reanalyze it, go on. One second, got to take a station break. You are listening to the Racing Spotlight on the iCast Media Network, and we appreciate you being here. Join us every Tuesday. All right, back to you, Will. But what I was saying... Just shut up, you know, shut up about what they're doing in as a package and just let them run because the average fan sitting in the stands or watching on TV is not going to know nor care about this extra air duct here or this extra two inches on the spoiler. All they want to do is see their guy get out there and run a good race with a good possibility of winning. So just shut up about it. Not, right. not you, and but just, overall people. <laughs> not you, right, but, and yeah. it's just it's just another form. I've said all along, you know, when the whole this whole package came together, you know, and, and listen, I'm not I'm not a complete hater. There were some races where the package worked really well. There were some races where it didn't work well. You know, racing I think overall was a little bit better. My problem this entire time has been that it's manipulated. We're 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 creating a fake 
product. It's not wrestling in the terms of we know who's going to win and we're telling this person to crash this lap and do this. And, you know, we don't have riders that are riding out how this race goes, but it's manipulated to a point to where we're having to physically change the car in the whole purpose of let's hope we can race closer. And, Again, I'm all for what I see on TV, what I see in person. I want a great race. I want a great race just as much, if not more, than anybody else because I want to see NASCAR get put back on the map to what it used to be. But at some point, and I'm hoping 2021 is the year. I'm hoping next year is the year with this next-gen car that we don't have to have a package here and a package there and a package next week. And here we've got one here, and then we got another one there, and an air duct here. I, I hope we can find a universal car that we can go back to what it used to be. Like I said, you had a universal car, and then you made your tweaks to whatever track you were going to. It'd be like running a local late model, because every short track down here in the south is different than every other short track, and you've got to make your adjustments. You take a car, you adjust it for a short track, maybe you just, you could take that same car and put a different suspension and adjustment on it, and it could go run at Charlotte or Texas the next week. That's what I'm hoping we can get back to, is making race cars race cars. And they're not some you know, project with a spoiler here, the wind can go here, and an air duct here. And, again, I want it to be great. I hope it works. I, I have faith that NASCAR has found something they think can work. And I do think it's good news. At least they're not settling. And, you know, I thought NASCAR, there was a high chance they were just going to mail it in for this year because, really, next year's when it really matters, the new schedule, new car. So, you know, there was a good chance, and, and props to NASCAR, they could have just mailed it in for 2020, and they're not. They're trying to make the product good. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen good but eventually i'm hoping 2020 is 2021 is when they learn their lesson come up with something because fans are tired of hearing about a package this week another package next week and all the different changes to the car and this and that that's too much red tape we got to make it simple again well i totally agree with you and i think that if if they were to do what you're talking about it would bring a lot more interest from the more knowledgeable fans and probably even the casual fans as well, because they'd see a better product on the track. It would be better racing all the way around, in my opinion. But, you know, right. I think NASCAR is taking step-by-step step making good moves. I just wish they'd take the steps a little bit quicker. Me too. And like I said, all this, in all honesty, it's a positive news, because... NASCAR, like I said, they could have just mailed it in this year. They, there's really no reason for NASCAR to make any changes in 2020 because 
there's going to be complete new changes in 2021. I mean, 2021, if you, if you look at what the potential for 2021 could be, it could be a complete rewash of the sport as we know it and a good rewash of the sport as we know it. So I will give props to NASCAR about that. At least they are still trying to make sure that they're not looking ahead. They know that they still need to have a good year for 2020. Still got to draw in fans, keep the fans that are there. So I'm pr- all for that. I applaud them for that. I'm glad there's a package coming. But that's the first thing I thought of is here's another package, another rule package that I've got to try to understand, you know, what is here, what is there. Um, but I look forward to it. I hope it pans out. I, that nothing has been said yet. It's all a proposal. I'm assuming it'll happen. Nothing's been announced yet. But um, I do think that is a good step moving forward. Um, and to me, you know, if they could get a universal car, you know, we keep on hearing about cutting costs. You know, that the big pit, pit road rules that came out today for Xfinity and trucks, I, I, I didn't get to read a bunch of it, but the whole idea is to cut costs. I tweeted out earlier today, something people need to remember because everyone's all about we need to cut costs. Is to me, the sport, they're cutting costs in the wrong areas. Right now, when somebody says in the NASCAR we're cutting costs, means they're firing people. They're firing employees from race teams and from parts of the sport. People are losing their jobs. They're not cutting costs in the right areas, which is the equipment. Make the equipment cheaper. Quit with, I'm all for technology. I'm all for being the latest and greatest. But we don't have to have the highest graded technology in these race cars every single year be updated. And those are the kind of things where I think a universal car without all these packages could be beneficial because now you could have, I don't know if you can have fewer cars, and I don't know the numbers. But in my eyes, the simpler it is to build a car, the simpler it is to know what your budget's going to be, the less money you're going to spend, and that way we can focus on that instead of cutting these people and them losing their jobs because we want to we want to cut other things that really don't matter. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, looking back at the old days, you know, people like Jabe Thomas, J.D. McDuffie, Buddy Arrington, all those guys, they would run on say Columbia Speedway on Thursday night, a half mile dirt track, kind of bang up the cars a little bit. Then they take they take that same car, beat the dents out, put a little bit of paint on it, and they'd run over to Darlington and qualify to run the Rebel 500 or 300, whatever it was, back then with the same car, and you know tinker with the suspension. So that was a lot more money conscious than what the sport is now, where you're taking a car and a backup car and back at the shop if you need to. You know, I think last last year at Daytona in February, excuse me, Joe Gibbs kept his tractors and trailers running back and forth to Mooresville bringing more cars for Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch because they were wrecking so many of them. Yep. So, you know, that's, yep. that's, that's just not not the same thing by a long shot. So to move to a little bit completely different talking point, I'll go to my third point of the night. So... A couple of weeks ago, I, I stirred the pot a little bit, probably a little more than I should have. Um, you know, every, everybody knows that out in New Zealand, both Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell had pretty rough wrecks. Uh, Kyle Larson, I think, had a black eye. Nothing major. But, you know, the discussion came about drivers running other series. And now I've always been for drivers running other series. I like it, you know, uh, see drivers running the Rolex 24, to run the Chili Bowl, to run the Indy 500. I love seeing that because it's me as a NASCAR fan that gives me somebody to root for um, because it may not always be an event that I would watch even though lately I've been trying to watch more of those big motorsports moments it gives me someone to root for um, but you do see situations like the Kyle Larson crash the Christopher Bell crash where 
you know, I understand why certain owners don't want drivers running other events um, because, it, I mean, it does get dangerous, you know, and, and people, again, I'm on the side of let drivers race whatever they want to. But I always try to understand the other side of a situation and to kind of play devil's advocate. And I try to sit there and get people to realize, what if one of these Star Cup Series drivers gets hurt doing something? The sponsors are kind of left out the window. Um, the team, because you don't know, you know, certain things can happen, um, you know, with contracts and, and, and certain drivers being in certain cars to where, you know, that can damage a team for a year, a couple of years. So, First, what are your thoughts on on drivers running other series, and what do you think about the risk of letting drivers go run other series? Well, if I were a team owner like Chip Ganassi and, and or whatever, I would not want my guys taking that chance. In fact, thinking back through the history, there have been several times when drivers wanted to go run another series and their owners told them no. But it was like I said earlier in the show, I've got a social media friend that lives in New Zealand and went to a couple of those races. And his his question to me the other day was, what is wrong with Kyle Larson? Is he crazy? And I asked him, you know, to give me a little bit of explanation there. He says, well, he just doesn't drive like our New Zealand drivers do. And I'm sure that's probably true. But it's still, if the driver wants to do it, I mean, if they really want to do it, I think they have the right to do it because that's a part of who they are. And I don't think Anybody should step in and stop them. But at the same time, having said that, I can certainly understand the team owner, say Chip Ganassi or Roger Penske or whomever it is, say, I don't want you to be taking that chance, you know. Right. And now, you know, and, and I didn't realize when I listened to the show a few minutes ago, I didn't realize some of the other NASCAR legends that had run some of the big races like Indy 500 and all that, you know, for you, I got, here's a fun question I thought of on the spot. I've got mine already chosen. But I'd love to see what what's yours is. So since we're speaking on, you know, drivers running other events, so I'm going to say pick a NASCAR driver. What would have ever been past, present, even maybe future, your dream NASCAR driver runs a non-NASCAR race, what would that look like for you? Mine would be if Jeff Gordon would have ever ran the Indy 500. That would have been the pinnacle for me because, you know, I'm sure part of him would have wanted to run it back in the day. I don't know if he ever had the chance to or interest in it, but what would that be for you? If you had a dream, any driver can run any non-NASCAR race, what would that look like? Uh, I agree. I wish Jeff Gordon had been able to run Indy, but I think, you know, I, I am real partial to Brad Keselowski. I don't think he's ever wanted to run Indy or he's never mentioned it. And certainly he drives for Penske, so his opportunity would be there. But I would love to see him in an IndyCar to see what he could do. I'd love to see oh, him yeah. in the 24 Hours of Daytona to see what he could do. And, and I know, and I know you you have rough feelings about this guy, but there's a lot of rumors that Kyle Busch is going to try to run the Indy 500 this year. And, I mean, to me, regardless of how you feel about him, I'm, I hope it happens just because, you know, you always wonder who's better, you know, we all respect the other racing series. We all have respect for all the drivers, but you always kind of wonder who's better, who's the better driver. And I think it would be so, so cool to see NASCAR's defending champion go out and try to run the Indy 500 and see how he would perform. That would be a huge deal. I, I think for the sport, um, I just feel like that would be, put a good marker to where talent is in NASCAR. Well, you may be right. You know, I think about 
going in there, running, in there, whatever. You know, he's running in the 24 hours of Daytona. Yep, and, I know he's running that this year. And I think that's a little more in tune with the stock cars that he drives, so it's it's not a big deal to be doing that because he ought to acclimate himself to that pretty quickly. But I think him stepping into an Indy car with the driving style that he has is not going to be an easy adjustment. Because he's uh, not, there could definitely be, uh, I could picture some rough situations oh yeah. uh, with that happening. But, you know, I've always thought about him. I would have loved to see maybe, and I think this is a potential, Not maybe, maybe not the Indy 500, but I think Jimmy Johnson has said he would be opening to running some non-NASCAR events. I think it would be huge to see him do some stuff like that. Obviously, I'd love for him to run Indy. Um, I really, you know, to me, even though I'm a NASCAR guy, I always love NASCAR. NASCAR is my number one sport, my number one racing series. I've always looked at the Indy 500 as the biggest race in the world, um, just because internationally how much attention that race gets. And, you know, any time a NASCAR guy or even a NASCAR-related guy, you know, whether it's Juan Montoya, whether it was Danica back in the day running it, it was it was always awesome. So, you know, I'm all for it. I love to see guys go out and compete in these other series. I know there's a handful of guys running the Chili Bowl this year from NASCAR. Um, excited for that. I know I think Haley Deegan, Kyle Busch, I think those are the only two NASCAR-related people in the Rolex 24 this year. Um, but I always love it. You know, I love seeing it. And um, obviously, you know, that puts NASCAR on the map whenever those drivers have success. Well, it does. But, you know, think about Dan Gurney came and ran NASCAR. A.J. Foyt came and run NASCAR. Uh, Mario yeah. Andretti came and ran NASCAR. And, you know, that put NASCAR on the map, too, in the Indy circles because of those guys that got out there and raced in our Daytona 500. And I think and that's the... And I think that's something that I hate doesn't happen more these days. I yeah. really wish that happened more. I wish we could get the guys like, you know, regardless of what you think about them, but a guy like Fernando Alonso, who we've seen run all sorts of different types of cars. I believe he's doing something with the car or no, with Baja or something like that, um, doing something overseas. I mean, you see that kind of guy jumping everything, but he's never mentioned stock cars. You know, I'd love to see a guy like a Lewis Hamilton. You know, what could he do in a stock car? Scott Dixon. You know, those kind of guys. I wish there was more of that. I know a lot of times contracts and scheduling, it doesn't really allow it anymore. But, man, I mean, there are so many dream crossovers that I think there could potentially be. And I think it would help all the motorsports. I think that is something that would help all the way around. Um, And, unfortunately, we just don't see a lot of that anymore. No, we don't. But, you know, since we started this Tuesday night show 53 or 54 weeks ago, And my introduction to all forms of racing, because we've had guys on here that drive, they drive everything. I've I've had guys that drive from go-karts to drive the local Dalladega dirt track. And we had my guest on earlier tonight, was from France, who has raced on tracks over there in Europe and wants to come to the United States and run NASCAR. You know, I have learned more in these 53 weeks about what go, what's going on in the racing world worldwide that I have in all my previous 65 years around stock car racing. And it's a refreshing thing. You know, like the guy I had on from France tonight, his passion for driving stock cars in NASCAR is equal to that of Kyle Busch, if you want to talk about him. It's equal to that of Kyle Busch. And if he gets over here, He's probably going to be Dino Mike. 
Right. I mean, and I just wish, you know, because you wonder, you know, NASCAR for the longest was the premier kind of American racing series, and that's what everybody wanted to be, and not everybody thinks that way anymore. But you always wonder, you know, you always wonder what could have been, what would have been, you know, what if Jeff Gordon would have won the Indy 500? You know, to this day, now obviously I never know, I'll, I'll never find this out, but to me, I think if Jeff Gordon in his prime would have ran the Indy 500, I think he would have had the shot to win it. There's guys that I think, you know, I think there's been NASCAR guys that it can go places and have a lot of success. We haven't always seen a ton of success from IndyCar to NASCAR, at least in the modern era. I know back decades ago, you know, you had your Foyt, your Andretti's. Those guys were just bad to the bone, complete, you know, some of the best racers there's ever been on this planet. But recently, with such the changes in the cars, we haven't seen a ton of that success. Um, you know, I just wish there was more of it. I think it'd be huge cross-brands, cross-promotional. And I, I think it's it's good for people to understand, you know, other forms of racing. I wish I could get into IndyCar and Formula One more consistent. It's not my cup of tea. And also, just, you know, watching racing two or three nights a week is pretty much enough for me. I get my racing bug cut out for the week, and then I can wait another four or five days and see some more racing with NASCAR. Um, but I, I definitely would love to see it. And hopefully, maybe, maybe in my lifetime, I'll get to see a couple more crossovers before it's all said and done. Well, hopefully you can, and I, and again, since we have started this Tuesday night show, I have come to learn so much about other forms of motorsports that I've actually been enamored by what they're doing in Europe, you know, NASCAR in Europe, and what they're doing in the European racing leagues, the sports car leagues, the go-kart leagues, you know, we've got just so many of the people we've had on Tuesday night run so many different series that they open your eyes to what's out there, and you've just oh, yeah. just got to look and see, you know. Oh yeah, so good good discussion on that. And like I mentioned to you earlier, I, I wanted to finish off tonight. I, I know you enjoy teaching younger people and stuff about the sport and what you've been able to to witness all these years. Um, obviously, we we unfortunately had the passing of a NASCAR legend, Junior Johnson. Uh, first, I'm gonna tell you what. Well, I know, which is very little about him. Um, and then I'll let you kind of fill in the vast majority. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. ...of things that I don't know about them. If you've got any cool stories, I'd love to hear them. So, you know, being kind of a kid growing up watching the modern-day NASCAR, what really all I know about Junior Johnson, I know at one point he was a, um, you know, he ran moonshine. He was a bootlegger. He was one of the kind of the founding fathers of NASCAR. Has really been there since the beginning uh, as a driver. I know he was successful as a driver. Never quite won a championship, but won a good chunk of races. I can't remember how many win totals he has, but I know he has a good chunk of wins. 
um, you know, is really one of the greatest drivers of all time, um, arguably the greatest driver without a championship. Then I know he turned owner, very successful owner. I believe he does have the championships as an owner. Um, you know, and you, he, he's portrayed as kind of an outlaw race car driver, one of that original breed of drivers that made NASCAR what it was in the early days. Classic bootlegger, um, worked hard, was a working man, raced, uh, raced for his family, became an owner, became an iconic figure in the sport. That's really all I know about him. Um, but what else can you tell me and what kind of stories can you fill in for me? Well, I can tell you that Junior Johnson was one of the best drivers on a dirt track that you would ever want to see. When he would come down to Columbia Speedway on a half-mile dirt track, they had what, what I guess they call it drifting now, but back in those days it was power sliding. And Tiny, mm-hmm. until Junior Johnson showed up the first time, I think Tiny Lund had the title as doing it better than anybody else. Junior came down there to run the Grand National Race, and he had his left hand up on the roof of the car and had that car all the way sideways from the time it hit turn one until it came out on the back straightaway and the same thing in turn three until they came out on the front straightaway. And I got to see, you know, he was just, he was a thinking man's driver, but he was also one that was going to be flat on the floor. He, he didn't want to be, holding back. He didn't want to do like Fred Lorenzen, you know, just cool it. David Pearson, just cool it to the end. He was going to lead every lap of the race if he could. Uh, two Junior Johnson stories that I have that are, are very personal to me. Back in 1964, you know, we had a lot of brand loyalty then, as well as right. the drivers. But if you were a Plymouth fan, you were a Plymouth fan. If you were a Ford fan, you were a Ford fan, and you never met in between. But we had the local Ford dealership in 1964 before the spring race in Darlington brought Junior Johnson down to the showroom, had his car in the showroom. So I went down to see him, and, you know, I walked in. Junior was sitting in the corner in the chair. No long lines, nobody there but the salesman. So I went in, I, I got down on my knees and was looking at the front bumper of the car, just looking all under the front bumper. And Junior says, hey, boy, what you doing? And I said, I'm looking for all the dents that Richard Petty put in the bumper when he passed you at Daytona. And, you know, he said, come on, come over here, boy, and sit down. So we talked, I know, for like two hours. Well, probably not two hours, but for a long time. And him just telling me stories. And he told me flat out about what it was like being in, in prison in Chillicothe, Ohio, for being caught running moonshine. And the thing that devastated him most of all was that he got caught because he didn't care about the service in prison. He got that behind him and went on to do other things. So, you know, I would see when I was working commercial radio, especially, I would interview Junior. I tried not to hit him every week, but I'd hit him like every third or fourth week, you know, and he's, I think, Daryl Walshaw was driving for him at the time and, uh, whomever was driving for him before Dale Walsh, I can't even remember that now, but we would wind up doing a lot of talking, and then when I quit commercial radio covering the races every week at the track, then I just kind of floated away and did a little commercial radio show on another channel. Anyway, to make a long story short, he came out with his moonshine, his white lightning moonshine, and he was making a public appearance at a liquor store here, right here in Lexington, to promote his product. 
And when I walked in the door, he recognized me on the spot. That he come over there and he shook my hand and everything. We started talking about it. And he said, here, you want to sip? And I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm still to this day scared to death to take a sip of moonshine from whatever about it tells me about it. But anyway, he got he got a bottle and he autographed it for me and I've got it still here in the studio now, unopened. So if moonshine ages well, then that has aged quite well. But he was just, you know, away from the track, he was fun and, and cutting up at the track, he was all business, whatever it took, he was all business to keep his car up front or as near the front as possible. But there, there was one time at Darlington when he was actually driving, and this was in the 60s, I had sneaked into the pits, and he came in for a pit stop and something was going wrong with the car. And I learned quite a few new vocabulary words standing there in his pit as he was telling his crew what to do to the car. So that added to my vocabulary. But, you know, he was... Well, he, I tell you, an autographed bottle of moonshine from Junior Johnson is about as authentic of a NASCAR memorabilia as you can get. I got it, buddy. I still haven't opened it. <laughs> so is there anybody that you could say, and I know it's it's so hard to compare past to present. The sport's so different. The tracks are different. The cars are different. But just driving style, attitude-wise, is there anybody modern day that you think you could compare to how Junior Johnson was? No. No, there there is no comparison you know junior's the one that bought rj reynolds to nascar and right when nascar desperately needed financial support and he did that and he did so much more for the overall racing he's the only one that ever got a banana qualified for a nascar race so you know that that in itself is something very special nascar did not outlaw it they let him race it but they told him not to bring it back again but I, my respect for Junior Johnson is off the scale, and I wouldn't attempt to compare anyone anytime to the overall man and competitor and good influence to the sport that Junior Johnson was. So, and you've been hitting on some great points about it. So if you had to say, what is kind of his lasting impression? Obviously, there's so much. But in a few sentences, what to you, you know, what does Junior Johnson mean to NASCAR? I think he means a lot for bringing it, again, bringing in R.J. Reynolds, bringing in the money when it needed, uh, bringing Chevrolet back into the sport in a big way when they had totally gotten out of it, basically. And in 1963, he came back with a mystery engine and that Holly Farms white number three Chevrolet, and, and that was quite a... Anytime you saw him on the track in that car, you knew he was going to be fast. The problem is he couldn't get him to last, but in the National 500 he did. And, uh, there was a poem that was written by a famous author that started out something about the National 500 was run all the way with 23 Fords chasing one Chevrolet, and he won that race. <laughs> but and I, so, what, so go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, I'm listening to you so so what is it so i know what was it that really kind of made him make the decision to step away from driving and getting to owning race cars you know i don't know the answer to that i don't think junior even knew the answer to that he probably just considered it a, a better business decision for him because he could bring in the money to support a car with just his name junior johnson and the drivers he would hire would have enough 
uh, background in the sport and enough name recognition that they could bring money to it as well. That's how he had the Budweiser sponsorship and got the, you know, just got everything going together. He was that good. He was that good in everything. And a more personable man you would never want to meet. And now roughly, if you remember, what was kind of the time frame, the year-wise, on how long he owned race cars? Oh, he probably started owning them in the late 70s, I guess, was probably. Now now you're stretching my memory in the late 70s. But he, he won, I think, six championships as a car owner. He won 50 races as a driver. And he is just... He, he may not have set records. He may not ever have been a Grand National Champion, but he's got six championships as a car owner, and he's got the name that will forever, as long as there is a NASCAR, will be on the tips of the tongues of every race fan, even the newer ones coming along, because now that he's passed, there have been so many news outputs talking about Junior Johnson. Yeah, and it's one of those kind of things. I mean, obviously, you know, NASCAR has to cover the current talent. You've got to focus on what's ahead of you. But you're kind of surprised that Junior Johnson's not talked about a little bit more. I think he is the true definition of what a purebred NASCAR driver was and used to be that founded how the sport is. And I feel like if, if more people, you know, it makes me want to know more about him. If more people knew his story and more about him, you would have even more respect for him as a man, a racer, an owner, and just an icon of the sport. Right. As Tom Wolfe wrote, he was the last American hero, and he surely was. Yep. We got about a minute, 15 seconds, Will. Yep. Um, I won't hold up too much time. We'll get out of here. Obviously, I appreciate it. It's going to be a new year. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. We only got a few more weeks of trying to find some things to talk about, and then we're going to be full forced. And I think it's about four or five weeks, maybe six weeks now. Uh, people got to remember the clash is still a week before, so really it's thirty some days before we see some kind of racing. About thirty four um, days, just, I think it's thirty four yep. days. So. Yeah, it's just over a month before we see some cars on the racetrack. I love that Bush has come back to sponsor the Bush Clash. I'm excited for it again. Um, you know, thanks for having me on starting in 2019. Looking forward to 2020. Glad to be back and and look forward to talking some more. And with that being said, um, I look forward to speaking next week. Ten four, you got it, Will. Thank you so much for your contribution. You have a good week. We'll catch you next you Tuesday. See you next week. Thank you so much. All right, folks, you have heard or listening to or have been listening to at the Racing Spotlight on the ICAST Media Network, and we appreciate every single one of you, whether you're listening live or whether you will catch it later on the archives. We also want to express our deepest thanks to all those serving in any branch of the U.S. military who served to keep us free. And we also recognize the sacrifice of their families if, of what these patriots do, put their lives on the line for freedom. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you also to all law enforcement officers and first responders who so often place their lives in jeopardy for our protection and safety. All right, we'll be back next Tuesday evening with Brett Suggs returning to the airways with us to tell him Tell us about his 2019 season and what he's got coming up in 2020. And I am very excited for that young man. He is such a great young man with what I think a super potential 
in his future. Also, also remember that all shows are archived within minutes of their conclusion, and you can access them anytime. And please spread the word among your racing friends about what we are doing here. And we now have the capacity, as you heard tonight, to interview drivers anywhere in the world. We can connect with them and have them on our show. And we're working toward that end. Of course, we're not going to stack the deck with drivers outside the country, but we're going to have them on as we come across ones and have an open week. I'm already booked for the entire month of January for our Tuesday night show, and I'm pleased about that. Y'all can email me at timleeming at ghosttracks.racing, and you will get a response guaranteed. You can follow me on Twitter at timleeming83, and you can find me on Instagram as timleeming. Remember, here we do small things with great love, and we appreciate that. Love you all. God bless us, everyone. See you next week, and we'll see you Thursday at 7 p.m. for our history show. Good night, and God bless. The proceeding was a production of ICAST Media Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.